Welcome to episode 89 of the Introvert Entrepreneur Podcast. I'm Beth Below. Thanks for sharing this time with me. Whether it's your first or your 89th episode, I hope you hear something that will make you smile, spark an insight, improve your business, or maybe even change your life. A few quick items before we dive into the conversation. As of this podcast, we are only about 40 days away from the November 3rd launch of my new book, The Introvert Entrepreneur, Amplify Your Strengths and Create Success on Your Own Terms. If you're a fan of free books, you'll want to enter my goodreads.com giveaway before it ends on October 2nd. I'm giving away signed advance review copies to three lucky winners. The link to enter is included in the show notes on the website. In other book news, in addition to a soft cover and audiobook edition, there will be two ebook versions available. The deluxe edition features exclusive audio interviews with financial expert Debbie Page Whitlock and UK media consultant Pete Walters. They offer so much added value, and I'm really excited to share their wisdom with you through that deluxe edition. One final item, this one from current events. It's been widely reported that Republican presidential candidate Jeb Bush identifies as an introvert. At a recent campaign stop in Iowa, CNN reported that Bush said, One of my personality strengths is that I'm an introvert, which puts me in the minority, apparently, amongst politicians. Normally people that run for office, they're extroverts. I've overcome introversion, if you will, because I love people. I really appreciate that Bush addressed this aspect of himself so directly and head on. But there is something to challenge in his statement. I feel strongly, as anyone who's listened to this podcast for a while knows, that introversion isn't something you overcome. And it's not about not loving people. If you feel like your introversion is holding you back from success, it's more about understanding your particular brand of introversion, finding out what strengths it gives you that you might not have been aware of, and learning to cultivate the skills you need to accomplish your goals. Rather than overcome it, you embrace it and use it as a launching pad for developing the capacity to be around people you love without them sapping the life out of you. Kudos to Bush for owning his introversion, and even though he says he overcame it, I hope what he really meant was that he learned to work with it while stretching into new experiences. My guest today knows a little something about being an introvert in an extrovert's profession. Dave Stahoviak has spent the last 11 years honing his skills at the prestigious Dale Carnegie corporate training and self-development firm. He is currently executive vice president of talent development with Dale Carnegie of Southern Los Angeles. Dave leads training programs for top organizations and was named by Forbes as one of the 25 professional networking experts to watch in 2015. He produces and hosts the Coaching for Leaders weekly podcast, as well as the daily Carnegie Coach podcast with the Dale Carnegie Organization. In this episode, Dave describes the epiphany he had during a sales call and how it changed his professional life forever. We also talk about how to honor your core energy and strengths, especially when you're in an environment that is more extroverted in nature. Welcome, Dave. I am excited to talk with you. Beth, I am so honored for your invitation to be on the show, and I am glad to talk to you too and your audience. 
Thank you. Well, let's start out with a little bit of context, because before we jump into the the heart of our conversation, I think it's always useful to know where you fall on the introvert-extrovert spectrum and how you came to that awareness and how it has influenced you. Okay, how long is the show? I know, exactly. It's like the <laughs> life story. <laughs> I definitely, I fall on the introverted side of the spectrum, although that's different than the answer I would have given you five or 10 years ago. Mm. So the backstory behind that is uh, probably for, I don't know, seven or eight times over the years, I've taken the MBTI or assessments like it. I was always one of those folks that was like kind of geeky into leadership (laughs) and and personality even when I was in college. And so I'd been through so many leadership retreats and things like that, that for years I'd taken the assessment. I always came out as an extrovert on the assessment. And um, not strongly, but but always extrovert. So I was uh, I was an ENFJ, and that was my mm-hmm. my flag in the world and who I was. And so I never really totally felt comfortable as an extrovert, um, er, thinking like an extrovert. But um, but that's how I saw myself in the context of my work and in the business world. And so when I was doing work in business and in my first few jobs and certainly in my work at Dale Carnegie, mm-hmm. I always thought of myself as an extrovert. And yet, I, uh, there was always like a disconnect of like, it seemed that other extroverts were doing things easier as far as connecting <laughs> with others and on sales than I was. Yeah. And so uh, about, I guess it must have been seven or eight or nine years ago, my wife and I went through training to become MBTI facilitators. Mm -hmm. And in the course of the training, it was a five-day intensive training. So it was certification, but it was also how to facilitate it well um, by uh, a woman named Linda Behrens, who was just fabulous, a masterful, masterful uh, instructor. And during the process of that, um, they did the assessment, and I you know, still came out ENFJ, of course. And But when we did the exercises... Mm -hmm. uh, in, in setting the assessment aside, but just going through the exercises of like where your preferences are, it became very apparent <laughs> that my preferences <laughs> were on the introvert side. Did you have like a scarlet eye that everyone could see but you? <laughs> I, I did. I did. And it was one of those really interesting things because as they were doing the exercises, I sort of was like thinking ahead and thinking like, you know, the different buckets people were falling in. I was like, oh, I see where this is going. Like I'm in the introvert group and I can't be in the introvert group mm, so, mm-hmm. because I can't because I work for a training company and I'm a business person and I work at Dale Carnegie and I can't be in the introvert group. Yeah. And I, my wife would tell you if she was on the line that that really was a hard thing for me for the first few days when I sort of was coming to terms with, I'm not really an extrovert, I'm an introvert, because I had a belief that if I'm going to be successful in the kinds of work that I do as far as working with people, coaching, training, uh, instructing, working at a company like Dale Carnegie, that I can't do that as an introvert. Mm Mm-hmm. And so that was that was a lot of baggage that I needed to work through, more so than the average person, because the average person, I don't think, thinks about that distinction so much. But I had a lot because that had been my career. Right. And, um, and so that really threw me for a loop in a pretty big way. And it was probably a good six months to a year for me to really work through that mm-hmm. and to make peace with the fact that I do identify a lot more as an introvert than I do as an extrovert. 
I'm so glad you said that six t- months to a year, because at first you, you said, you know, for a few days, it really threw you for a loop. <laughs> and I was yeah. like, wow, that's, that's, a, that's a short learning curve. But it sounds like um, it was, it probably was something that was really present for you. And then you continue to process it and figure out what does it really mean? Because I'm curious, you know, even though you had had those assessments, what was your perception of an introvert? Oh, gosh. Um, someone who was very quiet, who um, all, all of the things that you shouldn't assume. Right. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Uh, someone who was quiet, who couldn't interact well with others, who um, it wasn't going to be as effective in business, um, someone who gets walked over more of mm-hmm. like, all those kinds of things. And that's why it really threw me for a loop. Yeah. And by the way, thank you for being so gracious. But it, the six to 12 months was like the panic. So. <laughs> It wasn't the few days, it was the entire year. (laughs) I love that, the panic zone. (laughs) So those were the ideas that you had about introverts. Then, what do you know to be true now? I really see how introverts and, and my introversion in particular can be helpful in the work that I do and in the clients that I serve. And when I think about it, I think probably the, because it's such a, there's so many different ways I can answer that, but I think it's, it's helpful to frame it in the context of just my work. There mm-hmm. are not as many people who are introverted in our business just because of the nature of what we do. And Dale Carnegie is perceived, uh, rightfully so in a lot of cases, to be more of an extroverted organization. And so mm-hmm. what I've discovered is as I became more present to the fact that I do have a preference for introversion and I understood that about myself. And of course, everyone around me already knew that. So when I started talking about it, people were like, oh yeah, we know that already. (laughs) So um, what I realized though is that there are some strengths that I have that a lot of other people in our business don't necessarily have. And that's been really helpful on a whole number of fronts on positioning my work differently versus what other people in our organization do that's been really helpful to all of us. And so... Things like strategic planning, Mm -hmm. project management, follow-up on very complex projects that require a lot of detail orientation, the kinds of things that I'm pretty good at are things that a lot of people in an organization, that's just not their skill set as much. And so it turns out that there's a huge need for me to do that. And that's what I've spent a lot of my yeah. time doing over the last few years now. Absolutely. I mean, I often hear you know something like, well, an introvert needs an extrovert. And you don't always hear an extrovert needs an introvert. Mm-hmm. Um, doesn't always go the other way around. And, and I'm curious, you know, we, we're talking a little bit about Dale Carnegie. And, and you know, as you pointed out, he has, a, at least personally, you know, has that reputation of... Um, being like the pivot point of, you know, moving from a culture of character to a culture of personality, whether or not that's fair, I don't know, (laughs) it depends on how you're looking at that. But, but the organization itself, you know, also has that extroverted feel to it. What do you see as and and I ask this because you and I've had, you know, a couple conversations about it. Um, At its heart, you know, at its core, how would you describe the Dale Carnegie organization? Well, I think your perception is is very well-founded, and you, you can't have a book called How to Win Friends and Influence People and not be perceived as an organization that's pretty extroverted. Um, that, said, that said, I mean, you've, you've actually been a teacher for me in, in some ways in this, Beth, and I've right. thought about a lot this too over the years of just how so many of the skills that Dale Carnegie teaches are really skills that we would more classically think of as introverted skills. 
So, for example, one of his key principles in how to win friends and influence people is be a good listener. Mm-hmm. Encourage other people to talk about themselves. That is like an introvert's happy place. <laughs> um, and, and something that I, that's not ever been a major struggle for me is to let other people talk. Exactly. And if, <laughs> if Carnegie were here, I think he would, he would look at the different personality preferences of extroversion and introversion. And I think if we looked at the human relations skills, of which there are 30 of them, I think they'd fall pretty evenly on both sides. That yes, you need to have some some of the extroverted skill sets, Mm -hmm. but yes, also you need to have the introverted skill sets too in order to really connect genuinely with people and be able to influence people. Absolutely. Well, you know, I want to touch on also um, your time at Dale Carnegie. You know, you've, you've referred to, you know, this, this um, panic zone. <laughs> Where did that happen in, in the course of, you know, you've been at Dale Carnegie 11 years. Um, what was the pivot point? Oh, I'm trying so hard to remember where that happened in context of the, the introversion uh, awakening. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, I do. <laughs> the dawn of the introvert. Yeah, well, it's funny. I was, I, was, I was thinking about our conversation today. I was thinking back to the early days at Dale Carnegie. And so in my very early days, my job was purely sales and to go out and to find new business for the organization mm-hmm. as a lot of you know new you know new early people on in an organization like Dale Carnegie would do and so i well remember it was sometime in my first year that i went out um one of the expectations was to go out and to knock on doors and this was back in the day when you know people actually did that yeah. and so uh, i remember driving up to an office building in El Segundo, California, and had, I had all my brochures with me. I had my, you know, I rehearsed what I'm going to say, and I had my you know, like little Dale Carnegie manuals and all that with me, and my my sales training and all that. And I had prepared for like days to go and do this, and I really had to work up like the energy to go do it because it was not something I was looking forward to at all. Yeah. But I knew I needed to do it, and I wanted to do what I was supposed to do. And so I remember walking in the building. I picked a floor. I don't know, it was the seventh or eighth floor. I walked up there and I was just about to knock on the first door. And I just, I just couldn't do it. Mm. I just could not do it. And it wasn't because it was beneath me or anything no. like that. I just realized like, this is so hard. I have literally worked days. I have not slept. Like I just didn't sleep well the night before. Um, like, why am I doing this to myself? Like, if this is what I need to do to be successful in the bed, like, I, maybe this isn't the thing I should be doing. Or I need to figure out a way that I can do this in alignment with who I really am and my strengths. Yep. And so I got back in the car and I drove back to my office. <laughs> and I, I wish I could tell you that I, like, got, you know, I got in the office and I, like, wrote a plan and I immediately took off and did something, like, so much better than that and, and honored my strengths. But, of course, I didn't. I, I struggled for the next few months. Mm. But I knew that that wasn't it. And so I worked through it and eventually um, had a lot of good conversations with leadership and organization and um, figured out, like, what I was really good at and, and was so blessed to have people that I worked for who were so willing to honor who I was and to work in my own way. And that was, that was huge, but it, it did not start well. In fact, I, I, I essentially offered my resignation after my first year at Dale Carnegie. I was so bad. <laughs> 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 Good job. Well, what, 
Well, I'm sorry. What attracted you to that work in the first place then? Oh, of wanting to like help people to learn and develop. I've always had a mm-hmm. passion for that of education, training, development. I always wanted to be in the training business. And so in order to get into the business, I had to, I shouldn't say I had to, but I, I made the choice to go into the sales part of the organization because that's how you could get to doing the really cool stuff eventually. Right, uh, yeah. And so it's it's so interesting, though. Um, you know, here I went from that that first year to literally handing in my resignation, and thankfully my boss said, "Well, let's talk about this before you leave." Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and now, now I've actually moved away from more of the training pieces, and I've actually developed a pretty good skill set in the sales and marketing and program management side of things, and actually enjoy that a lot um, more so than I used to. But I do it in my way that is complementary to the skill sets in our organization and by knowing what I do well and also what are things that other people can do better. And, uh, but that, that definitely was not an overnight thing. It took many years of kind of navigating and figuring that out. Uh, but I was, I, was determined, I was determined to make it work because of the work that we do and because I believe so strongly in what an organization like Dale Carnegie does and also with all the other organizations I've had the privilege to work for, I've always worked for organizations that had great missions and great callings in the world. And that's something that I've, I've done consistently throughout my career. And that's really important to me. And so I've, I just feel really blessed to have had that opportunity. Well, that's such a great example of the, um, the power of aligning yourself with a cause, a mission, an organization, a vision that you care about. And, and I think when you do that, just as you did, you, what I love about your story is that you didn't, um, beat yourself up, you know, there, there might've been some dark days, but it sounds like you said, okay, you know, clearly this is not the method that is going to work for me and I need to find something else and I'm going to talk to them about it. Um, again, that probably didn't happen overnight, but you, you persisted and, and the organization worked with you. I think sometimes we're afraid to even say, you know, this is not fitting for me. Can we do something else? And um, and because I think we're afraid that they're not going to be receptive. Yeah. And I think that that's a great lesson from a leadership standpoint, too, for those who run small businesses and who are managing teams of people who have different preferences. It's like I think of like how different my career would have been if my boss had responded the way I thought he would, which is to say, oh, you know, too bad. Didn't work out. Thanks so much. And uh, mm-hmm. part ways and, you know, be a great reference for you. Um, but because he really challenged me to say, you know, what would your job look like if it did work and if it was more in alignment with what you wanted to do, um, that wasn't the answer I was expecting, but (laughs) but because of his willingness to be flexible and to see the strength in other different styles and personality types, um, here we are. Yeah. And what a great place to be. (laughs) How do you navigate that culture. I mean, you've already demonstrated one of the ways that it sounds like you navigated is that you are owning your introversion, you own your strengths, and you bring those forward and offer them up. Are there other ways that you, you know, both take care of yourself and position yourself for success within the organization that still honors your introvert energy, even if there's like that extrovertedness around you? Yeah, I think that there's, um, oh gosh, there's, there's so many different ways I think about that. And I think one of them is that there's, it, it, certainly in a lot of organizations, I think there's something, there's a lot to be said for results. And so um, part of all of our jobs in business and in organizations is to figure out what we do well 
what we don't do as well, and what can we do to help the organization to be successful, whether our preference is extroversion, introversion, or anything in between. Um, and then to communicate clearly to the people you work with and the people who lead you how I can do this in a way that's going to help the organization be successful. And so that's, there's a responsibility for all of us to do that, and I think about that a lot. But then there's also a responsibility for the organization to be responsive to that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think it's a two-way street. I've been really fortunate over the last 11 years I've worked with Dale Carnegie that we've had a really good, <laughs> that's been really great on both sides yeah. from that. Yeah. Um, I'm also uh, a realist, and I know that in every organization that's not the case. And so I think that you get more choices on how you work when you demonstrate your willingness to produce results for the organization. Um, and so that's certainly been true for me over the years. And absolutely, I've had more opportunities to do things the way I might do them versus the way someone else might do them in an organization because I've been able to produce great results. And so I think that that also leads me to one of the things that um, I, I feel really strongly about when, whenever there's a the conversation about introversion and extroversion is that I think that there's the there's this the um, trap sometimes for whichever preference people are once they identify with one of saying okay I'm an extrovert and this is just how I'm going to do things mm-hmm. or I'm an introvert and saying you know this is how I'm going to do things of getting a little too rigid in either of those areas so um, I don't get to do everything the way I would want to do it nor should I mm-hmm. that's not the way the business world works and that's not the way organizations work just as it wouldn't be appropriate for um, someone with a strong extroverted presence to go in and say, okay, um, I'm going to handle everything like in an extremely extroverted way in this organization and with this client and with this project. Um, That wouldn't be appropriate either. And so I think that while it's important to know for all of us and for me is what my preferences are, that it really is a preference, not a necessity, Mm -hmm. and that it's also my responsibility to learn and to give a good faith effort to the other ways I might approach a situation that might be more extroverted in nature that are important for our organization and some of our clients that wouldn't be the way I'd necessarily always do it, but are important to honor the organization and to, and, and to demonstrate that I can do well too. Um, and so that's, that's really, I think that that flexibility is something that sometimes when people have figured out like where they fall along the spectrum, sometimes there's that hesitation to be flexible. And I think that that's something our organization is particularly good at is encouraging people wherever they land of being flexible and encouraging them to think and work a different way. You're making me think about um, there was recently an article in the Wall Street Journal about um, ambiverts, those folks that kind of fall in the middle. And, you know, certainly that is a category where you're you're basically like 50-50 introvert-extrovert and, you know, don't necessarily have that strong preference or default. What I've always thought is that, um, and, and what I feel like you were just describing as a way to set yourself up for success to navigate almost any kind of work environment is to respect your core and cultivate the skills and the energy that is, for lack of a better way of putting it, the opposite. Um, And that's how you, you know, that's what I hear you saying, like when you can honor your introvert preferences and still produce results, fabulous. You know, that might be ideal. And realistically, in order to work with a diverse workforce, um, and so other people can honor their energies, we're we're called to stretch, we're called to cultivate those skills and bring out that energy. And, and so while we might not be born ambivert, 
you know, I think about, okay, how can I move towards that middle so that I have my toolbox is bigger? You know, I've got more to pull on in order to accomplish what I need to. I, I love it. And I think um, about, uh, you're probably familiar in some of your audiences too, the talk that Susan Cain gave, um, right. the TED Talk on introversion uh, four or five years ago now. And I loved how she finished that talk, which was, you know, extrovert, you know, she made this call to extroverts on what extroverts should do. But then she also equally made a call to introverts to say, introverts, you need to get out of your box, mm-hmm. too. I forget the way she phrased it. She did it so much more masterfully than that. Um, but I, when I think of, like, what Dale Carnegie does as an organization, and sometimes there's the perception that what Dale Carnegie does or training does is, you know, to help, you know, to turn people into extroverts <laughs> or to turn people into something that they're not. And I, I, I just so fundamentally disagree with that, being inside the organization and watching people over the years. Yeah. Um, our primary objective is to help people have more confidence in themselves. Yeah. And then a secondary objective is to give them the tools that will help them to be better at the things that they're not naturally as good at. And almost anyone in a business or an organization or who wants to influence needs to be better at some of the skills and tools that they're not as good at, um, introverts and extroverts. For example, public speaking is not my preferred skill set. It is not something that I naturally do well. It is something I have had to learn. Mm-hmm. Thankfully, I've gotten, really, I've gotten good at it over the years and, and can serve our clients really well in that capacity now. Um, but that is absolutely something I had to learn. But it was so worth doing. And I'm so glad I did because it has opened up so many more doors to me to influence, to now host and produce a podcast, uh, things I would have never been able to do before that training. And so I believe in the, the both things being true of honoring oneself, being more confident in who you are and understanding the clarity there, but then also being willing to learn and to develop skills that aren't natural to you in order to be successful in certain situations so you can do more things that you want to do. Yeah. Sing it, brother. <laughs> That's it. I don't think you sing it. <laughs> you don't want to sing? Okay. <laughs> I won't make you. <laughs> That's good. But That's the invitation is always there. <laughs> That's a real benefit to your audience. <laughs> <laughs> They'll thank me later, right? <laughs> Absolutely. Well, you know, along those lines, and, and this really, you know, beautifully brings our conversation to a, a conclusion around, um, I want to you know, make sure people know you have a podcast coaching for leaders, and it's it's this brilliant show. And, um, and part of your premise is that leaders are made, not born. Yes. And I think, you know, introverts sometimes might see leadership as an extroverted kind of thing. And so what encouragement or advice would you have for introverts who want to sharpen their leadership skills, especially if they are in a more extroverted work environment where it might be a little bit more challenging to to be heard? Well, one encouragement I'd have is that the organizational world is starting to wake up to the fact that there are not just extroverts out in the organizational mm-hmm. world. And we're starting to see a gradual shift in business culture and organizations to recognize that people work differently than that. Um, and I think for a lot of years, that wasn't the case. And that's still not the case in a lot of places. But I think we're starting to see that conversation change. And and your show, Beth, is, is a, a great part of that conversation. Oh, so thank you thank for you. doing what you're doing. Thank you. Um, so I'm, I'm thrilled to see that. And then the other thing I'd say is that it is absolutely, if there's one thing I've learned in working at Dale Carnegie, of spending six or seven years taking graduate classes on organizational behavior, is 
all of these skills are learnable. Are there people who naturally do some of these things better? Yes, of course there are. Um, but they're all learnable skills mm -hmm. and you can become a more effective leader. And my case study is myself. Like I am a shy kid who never had a lot of friends growing up as a kid who's from the Midwest and learned. Every, I mean, the things that I had to do in order to get better at working with people, mm -hmm. sales, handling conflict um, are things I had to learn. I, and, and there's no we didn't take classes. I don't know about you, but I didn't take classes in college on like how to be a good business communicator. And, and if I did, and if I did here or there, it was, you know, there was a, you had to learn a communication theory and write an essay, but it wasn't right. <laughs> that practical real world. Yeah. It wasn't real learning. Like nobody really gets a lot of training on this. And so we all think that we all assume, and I, I still do some days like, Oh my gosh, like there's people who are just naturally gifted as leaders and they're just uh, amazing and brilliant. And that's, they just were born that way. And, and yeah, there are some people out there who are really born with those skills, but for the vast majority of the rest of us, when you ask people who are really effective leaders, the ones who really have enjoyed working for in your career and you ask about their story, it is normally a story of a lot of, of a lot of time, hard lessons, struggles, uh, learning, because a lot of us never get these skills. Mm -hmm. And so that's the mission of my show is one, to give people, help give people the belief that yes, you can learn to lead. And then secondly, to give them something each week that's an actionable skill or tool that will get them there. And so if I can do those two things in the world, I am, I am thrilled to do that. Mm. Well, thank you for that gift to everyone. You're, you're reminding me also about um, teachers. You know, sometimes people see teachers as, um, you know, they're a natural teacher and they think that the, the most talented or the, you know, the, the, the most outgoing person, I guess, you know, is the natural teacher. And what I found, um, especially when I was in my music days, was that it was the person who had to work the hardest to get their skill. They were usually the best teacher because they could kind of, um, they, they knew where you were at. They knew, they felt your pain. Um, they'd been on that journey and they could explain. It wasn't just, um, well, you just do it. It was, okay, here's some different ways to think about it. And you might experience this and that. So I don't know if I'm just kind of going off on a tangent here, but I sort of see kind of a parallel just in, in terms of um, just because someone has to work at something doesn't mean that they're, you know, not going to be wildly successful. It's often those people who are the most successful at what they're doing. Oh, I totally relate to that. And I can look so genuine when our clients are struggling with speaking. I can, I can look people in the eye and say, I have been there. Mm -hmm. I have, I have, I have like struggled at the back of the room before walking in front of a class and just wanted to run away. Yeah. And so that is the kind of thing that I think helps people. And, and that's the reason I even, I started my podcast. I was looking for a show for people like me. Mm -hmm, exactly. <laughs> like you know, I spent like, I don't know, a year or two searching on iTunes and trying different leadership shows and all that. And this, this was back before podcasts were as, as big as they are now. There are more options now, but there just wasn't a good show that was weekly, that had great guests, mm -hmm. that had good uh, positive energy. And I was like, all right, well, <laughs> I guess I'll try to create it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And create it. You did. It's an awesome, awesome show. And uh, thank you for your kind work. You know, and, and what I appreciate that you're sharing here that I think is important for, for um, anyone listening, especially whether they want to be a leader or they are a leader, is that um, being transparent, being willing to share your journey, um, being willing to say, yeah, I, f I know where you're at. And, um, you know, I turned around that first time I tried to go knock on the door. 
there is something so powerful about that. And some people might think, well, that makes you look weak or, you know, whatever. But it's, it's truly a demonstration of confidence and belief in yourself. I think that's one of the best gifts you can give someone. Well, thank you for saying that. And I believe the same as you do. And I, I know that that is something that is a struggle out there for some folks is that if I, if I admit that I've struggled with something or if people see me make a mistake, that um, I, I'm not going to be able to have credibility with the people I lead. Mm-hmm. This, this comes up in leadership conversations all the time. And yeah. I, I always try to get, when, our, when I hear something like that from one of our clients or, or a friend, I'll, I'll say, think about who you would like to be led by. Would you want to be led by someone who never made a mistake, always appeared that they were perfect and, um, and never would admit fault with anything? Or would you rather be led by someone who made a mistake occasionally, that talked about the mistakes they've made in the past and yeah. appeared more human and more vulnerable? And you know, everyone, I shouldn't say everyone, <laughs> but the vast majority of people always say, oh, I'd much rather be led by the second person. But they feel like they need to be the first person when they get into that role. Yes. And so uh, there's just a real disconnect there. And so I think to the extent that we can all remember that and be reminded of that, that there's the opportunity for all of us to give ourselves some more grace and to give grace to the people around us and to say, you know what, I don't need to be perfect. Yes, I try my best. Yes, I work hard to serve people well. And yeah, I'm going to fall short once in a while. And when I do, I don't, uh, you know, there's the temptation to hide that and to, and to not talk mm-hmm. about it. But I think that to the extent that we can talk about those things in the right context and use them as teaching moments for others, um, that's, that's huge. Dale Carnegie has a principle of talk about your own mistakes before criticizing the other person. <laughs> yep. And when you make a mistake, admit it quickly and emphatically. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I remember listening to your podcast and a conversation you and Bonnie, your wife, had about that. And, and, um, and it was interesting because I always interpreted like emphatically just with confidence, you know, directness, not making a big deal about it, but just saying, look, I was wrong. Let's, you know, what are we going to do about it? <laughs> and and I've I've always loved that principle. I don't know how many times I've I've shared that with other people because it can be um, extraordinarily empowering to really live into that. Yeah. Oh, I I agree and um, and fall short of it all the time. So. <laughs> As we all do. Yeah. Yeah. That's 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 a great blessing I have working in our organization. Is I'm challenged with these every day too because I see it in front of me yeah. all the time. Like, okay, <laughs> don't criticize, condemn, or complain. I better I better walk my talk today. <laughs> Exactly, exactly. No one is perfect, even even those that are steeped in it every day. And I think that's another thing for everyone to, to remember and, and to be compassionate with yourself, because we're all flawed human beings just doing the best we can. And that's that's really all we can ask for. We are. And if anyone needs a case study on flaw, call me. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Dave. It's been um, fabulous chatting with you. And I want to I want to wrap up our conversation with a question that I ask all of my guests. And that's around Introvert Island. If you could take only three books with you on a three-week vacation on Introvert Island, what would you take with you and why? I love this question. And so I I was doing some thinking about it because I knew you were going to ask it. And I would would choose one book that I've been meaning to read for a while called The War of Art by Stephen Pressfield. Mm -hmm. And it is apparently about the the struggle of the creative process and to create things. And I find myself often struggling with the creative process. So, and, and 
creating things. So yeah. I think I've heard wonderful things about the book and I sort of know the main message of the book, but I really would love to get into that. So that's, some, that's one I certainly will bring. Um, I've also, I tend to read a lot of nonfiction, so I'm challenging myself to read more fiction actually this year. So mm-hmm. if I was, uh, if I needed to bring a book, um, one I have not read, which is sort of the great American novel is The Grapes of Wrath by John Steinbeck. Mm-hmm. And so I'd probably bring that one along for a couple of reasons. One, I've heard it's just an amazing book and it's one I should read. And so I'd love to read it for that reason. But there's apparently a companion book that's lesser known that Steinbeck, I guess Steinbeck kept a journal during the time he was writing The Grapes of Wrath. And he journaled about all his struggles and his paranoia and all the things he went through writing the book. Mm -hmm. And the book is, the journal book is called Working Days. And some, I don't know if it was him or his estate or whatever, got together and and put together all those journals into a book. And it's basically a chronicle of writing The Grapes of Wrath. And so I always thought it'd be interesting to read The Grapes of Wrath and then either read the journal alongside or afterwards. Mm -hmm. Um, and just to like, just to have insight into um, like how does how does someone create a masterpiece? Um, that would yeah. be really interesting to me. And then the third one I'd bring. I guess I already said three, but that's okay. One. We'll 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 assume that there's going to be probably like a, a dual, you know, a combined uh, volume. It, with the, Grapes of Wrath and yeah, it was like two A and two B, right? And so exactly. The third one is I would bring a journal because it would challenge me mm-hmm. to write and. I write a lot professionally, but I don't write a lot as much for myself. And I'm really working on journaling. I'm starting to get consistent at doing that. But uh, that would force me to get consistent on recording my thoughts while I was there. And then when you're writing the great American novel, you'll have that sort of record of the process. Hey, there you go. (laughs) So what is the best way for people to connect with you and um, to find the Coaching for Leaders podcast? Oh, thanks for uh, thanks for asking, Beth. Uh, th- to find the podcast, uh, just go on iTunes, Stitcher, whatever podcast app you you use, and just search for Coaching for Leaders. And I also do a Dale Carnegie podcast daily. That's just a skill from Dale Carnegie called Carnegie Coach. So you could search for that one too. Um, and for those who really want more, um, speaking of books, uh, if you go to coachingforleaders.com, you can sign up to get my uh, list of ten leadership books that will help you get better results from others. And it's a list I've put together and curated of, if you read these 10 books, I think they'd be the books that would really help you lead. And it'll be no surprise to you about that, How to Win Friends and Influence People is what the book is, the number one. <laughs> no surprise at all. Yeah. Uh, but there's nine others, too, that a lot of people in my audience are working through that list. And uh, I always hear great things from people like, oh, I just read uh, The Five Dysfunctions of a Team and wow, how mm-hmm. a great insight that was. So uh, that's a great mm-hmm. resource for people, too. Awesome. Well, thank you for sharing that. And, and yeah, you're you're very generous with, with sharing resources. And one of the things I really appreciate about your show is that you have show notes. Um, so that helps people to, you know, just kind of get a taste of things even before they listen and then afterwards to kind of ground some of what they've just heard. So, um, you know, I admire how much you, your generosity of, of how you put things out there. So thank you so much for being generous with your time today. Well, my pleasure. Thank you for this show, Beth, and for all you're doing out there to give introverts a voice and to develop people. I'm just so glad to get connected with you, and I uh, can't wait for our next conversation. Me either. Thank you, Dave. If you enjoyed this conversation, you might also like the interview Dave did with me on his podcast, Coaching for Leaders. 
You'll find us at episode 201, and you'll find it on iTunes or Stitcher, or by visiting Dave's website at coachingforleaders.com. If you find value in these podcasts, I invite you to take a moment to stop by iTunes and leave a short review. A special thank you to Wilson2523, Kevin4674, and Kevin Orth for their recent reviews on iTunes. Reviews and ratings help to raise the visibility of the podcast, which makes it easier for people to find and enjoy. Thanks for considering. Upcoming episodes include interviews with Jeff Woods of the Mentee Podcast, David Nyhill, author of Do You Talk Funny?, and Kevin Cruz, author of 15 Secrets Successful People Know About Time Management. Stay tuned for those podcasts coming soon. Special thanks to my podcast producer, Paul Messing, and to you for sharing this time with me. This is Beth Bielow of The Introvert Entrepreneur, and until we meet again, remember that success is an inside job. Thank you.